Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll look back at Fulham's 0-0 draw against Everton. So many shots, so many corners, so few goals. (laughs) Also in today's podcast, we'll look ahead to Saturday's trip to Turf Moor. We we broke the Goodison Park curse a few years ago, but can we break the Turf Moor curse? Also, we've got a stack full of your emails and we'll look at some of the latest transfer rumours 24 hours or so ahead of the deadline. Jack Collins, hello. Hello, Sammy. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, what were the best three-word reviews that came in from last night's, I want to say, bore draw, but I wouldn't actually think that was a fair description of the match. It was It was actually a relatively entertaining scoreless draw. Yeah, it was actually quite a good game, actually. And then you look at it, I brought a friend last night who hasn't been to the cottage before, and... He was like, I actually really enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, it was we, no one could score. And he was like, that's fine. You know, it is what it is. Those kind of things are, are different. But I didn't think it was a dreadful game of football. It was just a dreadful display of finishing in, in so many ways. So there was a couple of really good ones that I, I liked. Fulham fan you sign a striker was the most liked one. But random Fulham stuff, lacking attacking backing, which was clever. Oh. Richard Solbamba with toothless, never ruthless. Kieran McGinley couldn't unwrap toffees. Ross McSweeney with ever ton of chances. Chedazinho with soulless and goalless. Fulham Downster, sticky toffee point. Daniel FFC had fudge all attack. Andy Brooker had Fulham's projectile dysfunction. And TJ Fogarty with clinic in profligacy, which is a phrase that I personally like quite a lot. I am going to early doors ban you from naming this podcast anything sticky toffee anything (laughs) we've done that too many times over the years whenever we play Everton so I'm putting it there early no sticky toffees in the title okay that's fine I'm all right with that we'll we'll work out the title later but the sticky toffees are are banned it's fair enough it's fair enough right um let's get into the game Jack um obviously we we mentioned it a, a minute or so ago it was one of those last night where I came out so annoyed because it feels like we've got to be picking up three points in situations like this where Everton didn't look very good. But also, it was just one of them nights, maybe. Yeah, it's one of those weird games, I think, where I came out of it being like, how have we not won? And also, how have we not lost? And that's a really strange place to be. I thought the Fulham were the better side for large swathes of the game if not the entire game there were spells for both sides but it felt like the spells that Everton had were courtesy of Fulham just becoming incredibly wasteful in possession giving the ball away in dangerous areas whereas when Fulham got on top it felt like it was a team creating things and being able to pull the Everton defence apart and actually looking at the way that they set up yesterday was was interesting in that there wasn't much in centre midfield James Garner the only 
kind of out and out natural centre midfielder in in the team. Ashley Young sort of pushed forward into a right wing slot, which well, he didn't do much right winging, but he, he was he was on paper. It looked like at times yesterday, Everton felt like they were playing for the point, trying to you know waste a little bit of time towards the end. That didn't make sense to me, and I was talking about it to the people around me. They just dropped into the bottom three behind Luton, who have a game on hand in them as well. And to be playing for a point in a game that felt not maybe winnable in terms of the way that it kind of panned out, but actually when you see the chances that came together at the end, if you're thinking, if Everton had three, four more minutes there and forced a few more corners, they might well have found the breakthrough. So it felt like a bit of a strange situation from both sides. Fulham played well for lots of the game, but it feels like we're repeating ourselves over and over and over again now. There was just nothing in the final third that makes me think that Fulham are going to put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, the scoring issue has come to a head again. Ten games without a goal now in the Premier League this season, more than any other club in the division. That is something that's starting to become a huge issue, isn't it? If it wasn't for those three, four games, you know, the three goals against Wolves, the three goals against Liverpool, and then the two five nils, we'd be comfortably the league's lowest scorers. Now, obviously, that's we've taken away... It's a big caveat, yeah. Yeah, we've taken away four games there, but we'd be comfortably we're still one of the lowest scorers in the league despite the incredible run of games where Fulham just everything we touched turned into a goal like last night really felt like though just wasting of chances so many went by and not even just you know yeah you could look at the Jimenez miss so many poor decisions that led to there not even being a chance as well and you just and that does happen from time to time, but it felt like as well when it even came down to like the Liverpool game, you can think of so many moments where like Fulham got into like just about the right position and then just couldn't make it count. Yeah, and, and maybe the tough thing about that is actually the fact that the players making those decisions are the ones that often you back to be making the right decisions. It's your Williams, Bobby Deckard over Reeds, your Raul Jimenez's. And that's the that's when it gets a bit tricky. And this is a thing, right? So you take away the Arsenal game, and again, we're using caveats in, situ- in situations, but take away the Arsenal game, and that's five games in the league where we haven't scored a goal. And then it starts to become quite uncomfortable because then players are jumping at their chances. We saw that with Raul, I think. We are looking at team who are suddenly snatching at things, who are panicking in the final third. And I think when we got into that period where we were scoring, there felt like a rhythm about Fulham that everyone believed in themselves. But equally, I think you can double down on the fact that this front three must be absolutely knackered. I'm absolutely not surprised that Raul went off at halftime with an injury because the amount of football he's played recently. Now, obviously, you want your best teams to play in the competitions which you're trying to go deepest in. I completely understand that. But now we're going to have to look at William playing 90 again at the weekend. We're looking at Bobby Deckard over Reed playing 90 again at the weekend. We're looking at... Andreas Pereira playing again 90 minutes of the weekend. We're looking at Tom Kearney probably playing 90 minutes of the weekend. We are putting these players through the mill and that's because the squad is so light in these attacking options and people will point to the injuries and they'll say Harry Wilson's injured, Adama Traore's injured and Awobi's at AFCON. But I think that one, you know Awobi's going to be at AFCON during the most busy period of the year. You're aware of that when you're squad planning. And two, we've got three strikers and not enough depth out wide. That is not how you build a squad. And I tweeted something to this extent last night. If you start to put these players through this amount of football and they look leggy and towards the end, and look, I've got to say, and credit where it's due, they didn't stop running. 
the Fulham players last night. It didn't stop working. They looked leggy and out on their feet at the end. But at no point would I ever question the ethic or work ethic of, of this of this team. But I'm just looking at it going, we're about to do this again. <laughs> we're about to do the same thing again because that depth has not been built into the squad. And that goes up and goes back to all the issues. There's a lot of talk about strikers right now because the striker core that we have has not proved effective in terms of replacing Alexander Mitrovic. But I am more concerned the fact that we have three strikers. Maybe two of them definitely aren't good enough. Maybe all three aren't good enough. But we're talking about at least there are players deep in that position. Too deep. We've got an extra body that never plays that could be a winger who's able to rotate this cast out. And I just, I find it incredibly frustrating that we haven't learned how to build a squad yet. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of caveats right now. And it's also just, it's felt like a relentless series of football. I mean, the winter break just just went, came and came and went, it, it, it feels like. And also these are crucial games within our season as well, because you look at the games coming up after this run where we're not going to have Bassi and Awobi and now the Wilson injury. You know, Burnley's a big game. Bournemouth after it is winnable, although difficult. And last night is a massive opportunity for Fulham to get themselves real arm's length away from the relegation zone. And now it's seven points, which is a good gap. But last night could have been one of those where we went, I think I think we're, we're comfortable now. And, yeah. and it's, it's a missed opportunity from that point of view. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think anyone's doubting that. And I think that the players will be looking at it. And you saw the reaction at the end of the game. You know, it was people crouched down, heads in hands. That wasn't the same reaction as, say, the Liverpool loss or the Liverpool draw. That knocked us out, and understandably so, and correctly so. But you can see that that still hurts to be like, we just need to make sure that we're out of this muck. And it was an opportunity, as you say, passed up because of profligate finishing. Now, Everton might point to the same, and they might point to chances at the other end. Better should have scored from a free header. So should Joao Polina in the first half. You look at the scramble in the box twice, you know, one right at the end and one in the first half for Everton. You point to the Raul miss, you point to the shot cleared off the line, the fact that Bobby blocked one from Willian that looked like he was going in at one point. And then the fact that there was a moment where weeks ago we were screaming for Bobby to square it at Anfield. He did square it yesterday and it proved to be the wrong decision. Maybe the shot's on that time. I can understand the the idea of being unselfish at that point. But yeah, it was just very chaotic as a game of football. Very open. I thought Fulham were the better side, but Everton probably had the better chances. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And I mean, by by the 96th minute when that whistle was blown, I was actually relieved. Yeah. I was thinking, God, because there was only one team winning it in that final three or four minutes of it. Once Muniz missed his header, that injury time was one-way traffic to uh, to Everton. Let's talk about Muniz. Fascinating player. Like, uh, If by fascinating, you mean incredibly frustrating. Uh, yeah, but like does some things occasionally you're like, oh, that's brilliant. Occasionally gets the hold up play. Absolutely spot on. Has got some skill. Oh, but, yeah. But also, I mean, you put in our Fulhamish group, you said, here comes the baby giraffe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just like, he just feels like his limbs are too, I've not said this, but I've just said this before. His limbs are like are too long. <laughs> he's just like, he's all limbs. And it's just like, I imagine he's incredibly awkward to mark because he must be like elbows everywhere, knees all over the gaff. Like, he must be incredibly difficult to deal with as a defender in some ways. In terms of like, you're a bit like, what the hell is this physical profile? I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. And then on the other hand, you're a bit like, 
if you just leave him enough space, he will trip over his own feet. And and that's almost that kind of weird dichotomy with him. And look, he's been linked this week with Real Betis and who are my club in Spain. And I'm just like, please don't do that. I could, I've just about been able to deal with him there. And I could do, not deal with doing him twice. Um, he, look, that I like him and I want him to succeed, but I just don't see it. And, and I think that when you saw him struggle at Borough last season, be dropped out and bombed out of that Borough side, and then basically failed to crack the championship, and then suddenly come back in and be... Second choice. Now, I, I don't mind him being second choice ahead of Carlos Vinicius because I, I think Carlos Vinicius is basically in the wrong one of Tony Khan's franchises at this point. And he, <laughs> uh, a move to AEW might be the thing that saves his career because all he seems to want to do is hit people. But like, I don't mind Mooney's been ahead of him in the pecking order because I think Mooney's probably offers a little bit more. But equally, we're for, you know, the bar's on the floor. Yeah. Like, we're talking about a player who couldn't crack it in the championship with a borough side that were pretty good under Michael Carrick, now coming in and playing for a side that want to be mid-table in the, in the, in the Premier League. It, it doesn't add up. And look, we'll come back to different things that don't add up later on in the show when we're talking about transfers. I think there's a player in there somewhere. I'm just not sure it's here. And I'm not sure it's as a lone striker at any point. I think he might be the kind of player that needs someone alongside him in order to actually get the best out of that hold-up play that you, you rightly point out is good. It's just everything else I struggle with. Yeah, I I was watching Fulham last night. It's like, it's just like a blunt knife. It's a good team out there. There's so much good about this, and and a way that we can break through the lines and the the the, in, the interplay. Yeah, really nice stuff. And then you just get to that final third, and you're just not ever that confident that Fulham are gonna find a way through. And Willian tries his shots from distance and cuts in. You just it feels like it's it feels like if you get Fulham right now. We're quite, it's a good time to play us. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's a, there's a sense of like, Fulham could score, but it's going to take something special or a mistake. It's not like Fulham are going to create the chance and put away a very normal goal. And I think that that's a bad place to be because it means that the attacking patterns aren't working. But weirdly, coming back to that, the patterns are working for lots of it. The patterns are working until the ball goes into the box or the ball, final ball is played and then suddenly the patterns just break up as soon as it gets to that moment. And there is an element of panic, I think. There is an element of like, we need something to break the dam and then maybe it will come in the way that it did in those two five nils. But like, it's going to take something special to break the dam if Fulham are going to do that at the moment. And that's why I've got, I'm struggling with the idea of Turf Moor at the weekend because I think that they have more to play for more availability in terms of rotation, and it's a ground we never win at. All of those things together make me very uncomfortable. Um, I guess one positive from last night, I actually thought that the defence, barring the odd shaky moment, was was pretty impressive. It was also nice to see Tim Ream back on yeah. the pitch. And when he came on, actually, I felt like this is nothing against Issa Deal necessarily, but I was like, ah, oh, this is a bit of the Tim Ream that we've been missing. His ability to find... Anthony Robinson with that sweeping left-footed pass that he loves doing. I feel like, you know, Calvin Bassey will come back soon and no doubt retake his place in the first team. But in defence right now, we look pretty comfortable. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I didn't think Leno had a great game, I'll be honest. I thought that his ability to claim from corners last night, and to be honest, the real opportunities only came from set pieces, but the parry in the first half back into the danger area from the free kick that ends with the ball being cleared off the line Mm. by Castagna is is not a great parry. He felt like he wasn't able to come and claim any crosses. Now, part of that was, I don't think we gave him much protection, 
But equally, it did feel like set pieces really were the only moment that, that Everton were going to score from. So we're kind of considering all of those things. Defensively, I thought, aside from set pieces, Tosin and Diop did really, really well. And people might think about that and go, well, I thought Dominic Calvert-Lewin won every header. And I actually agree. But actually, I thought he was marshaled in such a way that he did win quite a lot of headers and all of them came to nothing. Yeah. And actually, there was a little bit of like, all right, win the header then. And I think that by the end, Tosin had realised, because he was trying to peel onto Tosin as opposed to Diop. And that's why I was interested. I didn't really notice the injury to Diop until until afterwards. So when he came off, I was like, ooh, maybe not the defender I would have pulled to bring Tim Ream on. Because I thought he was just trying to give him some minutes. Um, obviously, the injury is, is what it is. But I thought that Calvert-Lewin tried to peel onto Tosin. And Tosin first was like, ooh, I'm losing these headers. And by the end, he was like, okay. Have the header if you want, but you're not going to get anywhere near that because we're sweeping up everything behind you. So I was impressed with the defensive, you know, setup that, that we had. And I thought that, yeah, aside from set pieces, which looked shaky, it was a pretty solid display at the back and, a, and another good clean sheet for those lads. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll uh, take a break. Afterwards, we'll look ahead to Burnley. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Jack Collins on the Thursday Club. Uh, just to say that this season, the Thursday Club is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Uh, if you want to watch any televised football match this year, then head to your local Green King Sport pub and the match will be on there on one of their beautiful HD TV screens. And during any televised match, you can get 10% off your drinks with the Green King Sport app. So maybe on Sunday you're at a loose end, you fancy watching the Arsenal-Liverpool game, head to a Green King Sport pub, get 10% off your drinks with the Green King Sport app. Um, Jack, Burnley on Saturday, a trip to Turf Moor. I'm really upset when my work rotor came up and this Saturday was the only one in the entire month that I couldn't miss because I loved my trip to Turf Moor, despite it being one of the most depressing matches that I've ever watched. Um, that famous Andre Scherler game where they somehow beat us by having no shots on target. Um, that was a great day. Um, but it is, a, it is a good day out. So, so all of you heading to Burnley, uh, have fun. Um, the, cr the cricket club. The cricket club is, is something of legend. I think um, you can get a pie and a pint for under five quid, or certainly you could a few years ago, pre-COVID, maybe the cost of living crisis has got to the cricket club too. But yeah, if you're heading up, have a good one. Um, we obviously have a, a stinker of a record at Turf Moor. Um, we broke the Goodison Park curse a few yeah. years ago, and actually now we're we're pretty we love it there now. We're pretty incredible at Goodison Park now. Yeah, can we maybe break the Turf Moor curse? If there was a year to do it, it's this year. Do you know when it dates back to when the last time we won a league game at Turf Moor was? Well, I thought it was in the fifties. You're right, fifty three. No, it's 19, April 1951. 51? April 1951. My God. It's just weird, isn't it? Because like, you, you'd understand if that was at Anfield or at... No, we've got decent results there over the years. Or, or at Arsenal or at White Hart Lane. But like, I know that like it's a tough place to go, but like, lads, it's Burnley. Surely we could have won more want there in the last 70 years. It's very on brand, isn't it? Like the the Fulham boys have a jolly outing up to Burnley and they get beaten up <laughs> by the stern locals and sent back down to London with their tails between their legs. Well, I mean, nothing more typical than that game in the Premier League that time. Well, where they didn't have a shot on target. Well, they didn't have a shot on target and still managed to win. Um, I mean, looking at Burnley, Jack, um, 
we're their last victory. Um, yeah, that, that wasn't that long ago. I'm not. I'm not that mad about that. Yeah, the one before Christmas. I mean, they are having a really tough time back in the Premier League. They've played like no football. Obviously, we're recording this before they play Manchester City. I think we can safely assume that they're not getting anything at the Etihad. I mean, come back and quote me when they yeah, somehow. There's win the curse t- when they win three 0 when, when they somehow win three 0 but they're not going. Yesterday to. you said Brighton were going to batter Luton. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> um. I mean, they've they've had a really tough time, but you look at all these games they've played, they do often give um, teams a game, often ends up on the wrong side of it. And at Turf Moor, it's been a really, really tough season for them. Just the the one win, but it was quite an impressive win, the 5-0 against Sheffield United. Yeah, um, another team they've beaten already this season. You're like, oh, that doesn't bode particularly well, does it? I think even in the games they've lost, you know, you look at the 2-0 against Liverpool, you look at the 2-0 against Everton, they were decent. Both those games, you know, really did give them a, a game. And considering that Fulham can't score goals at the moment, I am concerned that this is going to be another nil-nil or a, a draw that doesn't quite bring what we're looking for. Um, and in those kind of games, it only takes a moment of magic from someone, you know, on home turf to to turn things their way. Or, or as we've seen before, deflections or home goals or anything that can go wrong. So I think the problem is that whilst I back us to keep Burnley out. And I know that sounds a bit mad considering the game that we saw before Christmas. I still think this defence is, is good and solid enough to to frustrate at this Burnley attack in particular. Though I do like Zeki Amdouni and if they do get relegated, he's someone that we should be interested in. Um, there is a sense that I feel like we can stand up to this attack. The problem is going the other way where I'm like, are we going to be able to break this Burnley defence down? Now it's not, and it's not a Burnley defence of old. We're like, oh, you're going to have to go and actually work incredibly hard. This defence have proved relatively easy to break down in the Premier League this season. They've been you know, pretty holy in many ways. But I still don't back us to go there and absolutely tear through them because I don't think I'd back us to do that to anybody right now. I just feel like Fulham are going to need one to go in. Just going to need, we're going to need some luck ourselves. Because if I think if we get ourselves in the lead, I back us. Mm. I back us to hold on. I back, you know, and I think when teams open up a little bit more, and if Burnley have to attack, I mean, it was similar to that game at Christmas where Fulham had all those opportunities, particularly in the first half, absolutely like dominated them, couldn't get the ball in the net. And it could have happened yesterday as well. It's, it's, we, we keep seeing this performance. Like we don't put away teams in the first half and then the second half they get confidence. Everton could have won that 1-0 yesterday. And it's exactly what happened to us in the game before Christmas. We didn't swap Burnley away. And then in the second half, they thought... Oh, we could, we could, we could, we do, could have a go here. We could yeah. do something here. Whereas I do think on Saturday we're just going to need someone to take a pot shot, get us one nil in front, and we will, I think, most of the time be able to hold out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think if Fulham can take the lead, I fancy us to win. And that sounds like a basic comment, and a lot of the times teams do do take the lead, win games. Yeah, but I think in in this exact circumstance is even more important than ever. And people are like, oh, first goal is very important. Fine, it like. If Fulham go one nil behind, we like it doesn't. I don't doesn't really impact the idea of like this game could be a draw. But if Fulham are going to win this game, I think we need to be the team that strikes first, just in terms of like actually getting any sort of confidence back within the finishing levels of this team. And look, Raúl is almost certainly out. This is going to be Mooney's leading the line. He has in the past had moments of magic in certain games where he has started he looks better when he starts my mind goes back to Stoke at the Britannia with uh, that magnificent performance Um, maybe his only magnificent performance in a Fulham shirt to be honest so maybe that gives him that that run of confidence but it does feel like 
something has to change. Oh, look, we could be talking about this and we could be talking about this game with Fulham having a new player in the ranks and we'll come on to the transfer window at the end. But that's the they're only thing that changes things. They're not going to start on Saturday. Whoever we bring in, no way do they start on Saturday. <laughs> Weirder things have happened. Weirder things have happened. I can see someone be on the bench. I cannot see someone starting for us on Saturday. But yeah, it depends. Like, well, if, if a striker I mean, comes in and Mooney's and Raul uh, and uh, Carlos Vinicius go out, which is very possible, there's talks today on Sky that Vinicius is is being looked at by teams in Germany and Spain. There's talks of this Betis link for Mooney's. Mm. If Fulham do sign someone and both of them go out on loan, then the person's going to have to start. Yeah, well, you might finally get your wish, Bobby Dip Decker over No, because there's no one to play on the wing. <laughs> There's no one to play on the wing. <laughs> um, I mean, it was Muniz, obviously, that played in the game just before Christmas because that was during Jimenez's um, suspension. And I remember Muniz being particularly poor that day and not really um, getting a sniff from from the Burnley defence. But I do... Pocketed by Dara O'Shea and Jordan Bayer. It's not a great look, is it? No, it wasn't. It, it certainly wasn't a, a fine day. I mean, I'd ask what Fulham should do in terms of lineup, there is barely any man- room for manoeuvre short of Tete. Yeah, sure. Um, maybe Foto Balatore comes into the squad. Like maybe he plays further up. I, I, I don't see it. I know there's been some suggestion of this or playing Anthony Robinson further up. I don't really like either. I don't really like the idea of sticking a left back in into our left wing spot in particular because it's quite important to the way that we build up. And yeah. So I've seen a bit of that thrown around but yeah apart from that I mean what do you check does Harrison Reed come in maybe just to allow a little bit of fresher legs maybe Tom Kearney takes a little bit of a rest but then again that takes away from Fulham's creative output as well so I don't know I, I think there will be two changes but I don't know quite what they will be I think it might be might be Reem in for Diop and Tete in for Castagna yeah that, that's all I could really say unless Reed comes in for Kearney which might maybe just there's some energy in that and it just allows the team to just have a little bit more pizzazz about them. But again, it takes maybe we have something then to bring on creatively if things aren't going our way. Yeah. But yeah, it's it really is. We're running on fumes here. Yeah, we really are. And what's so frustrating is that these winnable games are now not. I mean, almost actually, I would rather now in a period where Fulham are in a tight spot. Just being battered by City. Yeah, I think I'd rather get the cities and stuff out of the way. In the, I mean, it would be depressing as hell, especially after what we've had in the uh, in the Carabao. And I, I do think that the I think the fan base needs a win, doesn't it? It's actually been a lot. You know, you look back at the run, we haven't won many matches of football really. Rotherham, right? When Arsenal, well, Rotherham was after Arsenal. Yes, yes, of course. That's the last time oh, we won. Right. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. just thinking generally over like December and January. There's that really. Yeah, yeah it has. It's been a pretty bleak run. To be honest, yeah, the the Arsenal game's obviously been a highlight. The 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 run we gave Liverpool in both games obviously important. Yeah. But yeah, apart from those, you take them out of it, it really hasn't been very good. No, and I, and I think with everything that's you know off the pitch, everyone's getting frustrated and angry. A, a nice win at Turf Moor would just go a long way, I think, just to soothing uh, some spirits. Yeah, improving everyone's mood. I think what would also improve everyone's mood, Jack, is if Fulham would sign a player or two. Yeah. Uh, the deadline is on Thursday at eleven p.m. It does feel like we're recording this on Wednesday that there's been some movement in some quarters. The the Broya rumour still seems to have some some legs. I'll I'll believe it when I see it, that one. I mean I don't mind. Like I, I think Armando Broja is quite a good player. And actually stylistically, in terms of a fit, I, I think it's a relatively smart move. 
it's only a smart move at like 25 million max. And you might think about that. And look, I can understand Chelsea holding out for more than that because they obviously want to help balance their books. He's a homegrown, in inverted commas, player who, you know, would, they wouldn't have to pay a fee on. So therefore they get to bank the entire profit immediately, helps with FFP, et cetera, et cetera. Fine. The problem is that Armando Brogia doesn't start in front of Nicholas Jackson when everyone's fit for Chelsea. And Chelsea bought Nicholas Jackson for £30 million this summer and people are saying they overpaid. So they can't then expect people to turn around and be like, yeah, we'll pay £50 million for Armando Brogia, as far as I'm concerned. like that, that, Those two things do not add up yeah. in any sort of world that I'm living in. And I think that if Fulham are going to go and spend £50 million on a striker, Santi Jimenez is there at Feyenoord and has a higher ceiling, a more proven character, hasn't got the injury concerns that I have with Brogia. If you're going to go spend that money, spend yeah. it on Jimenez. I, I, I fully agree. Like, I, I, I think that Brogia could be a smart signing if you can somehow get him at a reasonable, and by cut price, I mean, as you say, in the kind of... It's still 25 million. And look, there's been a, quite a lot of things on, on Twitter recently and about this, and I think Ibs was talking about this, that when you bring in a player like Brogia it's a little bit like bringing in Mitrovic at the time. And people forget that when we signed Mitrovic, he was a bit of an outcast. He was off to Anderlecht. Yeah. You know, we're, we're talking about a player who'd had his chance in the Premier League and kind of spurned it in, in many ways. And actually Fulham bringing him in was a bit of a lifeline for his career in England. And obviously it worked out brilliantly. Amazing. Fantastic. He was class. But I think that people now retrospectively maybe overestimate what the value of Mitrovic was when he came in. Yeah. He was still a very much a rough diamond. And Fulham have got a track record, especially under Silver, of polishing those diamonds. Brogia's injury record concerns me. His football record since his injury concerns me. But his physical profile and his ability to score goals and get in behind, I quite like all of. The difference, though, if we did bring in Brogia, and this is what Mitrovic had, was getting to cut his teeth in the championship and refining his confidence in a league where he was shooting fish in a barrel. That won't be the case for Broder in this team. Yeah. And I Although, to be I, fair, if he gets given half the chances that we created last night and he doesn't put some of them away, then I think he'll be questioning his own ability, never mind anyone else's. Yeah, I guess there, yeah, creating chances hasn't been a problem. It's no. just whether in the Premier League it's still going to be quite a slog for him to come in. and Because I do think you're signing a player, if you, if you signed it a Jimenez... Whether he can, uh, whether he can come into, and I'm sorry, I'm talking about Santi Jimenez, not Raúl Jimenez. Um, it would make life really confusing. Oh wouldn't god, it? it's going to be real. <laughs> Santi and Raúl, they're not getting their surnames anymore. Yeah, um, he would come into the English league full of confidence, and it would be a nice breath of fresh air. I think you bring in Brogia, and we've got to build him up. We've yeah. got, to, we've got to, we got Silva's got to breathe life into him. He's not someone I think that comes in and fixes our problems. I just think if we have fifty million pounds to spend on Armando Brogia, which I don't think we do, we don't. Like if, but if that's there, then I would rather Fulham spent thirty million on Andre and then brought spent another twenty million on someone like Jonas Vind at Wolfsburg or Hugo Kuipers at Ghent or Jorgen Strand Larsen at Celta Vigo. Like there are players out there who have similar profiles and I think are not miles off in terms of quality. They might not be quite the level, but you know, in this kind of bracket, you could buy two players for this price, and I think that would overall in, enhance the midfield. But equally, I think that. I've said it before, there's a lot of talk about uh, strikers. And look, yes, it feels like Fulham needs someone to come in here. 
But equally, I think we're overstocked in the striker department and we're light or wide. Like, yeah. I actually would love to see a player, and we should have been in the conversation for Ben Brereton Diaz before yeah. he signed for Sheffield United because he was obviously not getting the games he needed at Villarreal, change of manager, all of that. And we're like, okay, there's a player who can play nine or either side or even ten in a pinch. That might be useful. Oh, I've, I've, I've literally banged the Brereton Diaz But Kuyper, Kuypers can do that as well again. And I think he'd cost you about £14 million. And has been top scorer in Belgium three times, I think. He's about 26 years old, plays 10, plays 9, plays a little bit wide as well. He's not quite the profile of striker maybe that, that we've seen that Silva uses. But in terms of a useful squad player that could play around those areas, I just think he'd be a, a really easy piece to fit into this jigsaw. And I don't know, just the squad building frustrates me continually. It really, really does. Yeah, well, if you want um, more on uh, the transfer deadline, uh Jack and Jack are going to be doing a deadline day stream on the YouTube channel, 9.30 on Thursday evening. They're going to start. So if you're at a bit of a loose end, you're a bit annoyed because Sky Sports News isn't talking about Fulham at all, get onto the Fulhamish YouTube. Jack and Jack, get involved in the comments. It's always a lot of fun, the deadline day streams that uh, that they do. So uh, head over to the YouTube and um, we'll break down any transfers that come in on Sunday, I, my words were, we'll talk about transfer deadline day on the Sunday pod after Burnley, unless we sign Vinicius Jr. or something incredible happens. Vinicius Senior, we've already got him. Yeah, we might break glass on the emergency pod if something ridiculous happens. But assuming it's Danny Ings on loan. <laughs> I'm not doing a podcast with Danny Ings on loan. You can find someone else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just not having it. We'll wait till Sunday if that's the case. Uh, we'll take another break there. Afterwards, we'll get into some of your emails. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack Collins. Before we finish, we'll go through some of your emails. Um, this one is very specific to people that are on Fulham Twitter. Um and it's from Aldwin Boscowan. He says, Dear Sammy and the team, I assume you will be doing a transfer or lack of roundup on the Thursday club. I was thinking after yesterday's bizarre Twitter happenings that you might want to consider your option to name the pod announce Jay Williams. We could, we could. Uh, I thought it could give some relative amusement in these really quite unsettling times. Uh, the Khans have shown time and time again their lack of fit and proper status by having an inexperienced part-time erratic director of football at the helm. And I find it difficult to see that they care in any small bit about the club other than their own money that they have mismanaged whilst owning the club. Very sad, really, as casts a grey cloud over the whole experience of following the team. Best, Aldwin. Um, I couldn't agree more on your uh, second part of your email. Um, Jay Williams really has been the uh, the name on, on everyone's lips that's part of uh, Fulham Twitter. How do we explain this, Jack, to someone who's not on Twitter? I don't really know. Um, it, it was a bizarre explosion post-Newcastle. Um, I was travelling home from Portugal and it was, I was sort of watching this going off and I was like, this is one of the most... And Lucy was sitting next to me and she was like, what are you looking at? And I was like, I don't actually know. Like, I don't know what's going on here. I have absolutely no idea. It was someone on Twitter who was either on a wind-up or incredibly defensive of the club's actions, having a go at various Fulham fans on Twitter, having a go at lots of different people, threatening legal action. It was, it was one of the most bizarre things I've witnessed in a long time. And then, to add sort of 
comedy value to injury. The account was deleted. Another account was set up. There was an, another kind of set of, of weird messages. And then following that, Fulham let an academy player called Jay Williams go to <laughs> Sutton United on Monday. It was like, it, it, I, I don't know what was going on, but everyone went mad. And there was all sorts of things going on. I think Farrell had a mate who texted him, who was a Sutton United fan, saying, why do all Fulham fans hate this Jay Williams that we just signed? And he was trying to explain it to him. It was one of the most bizarre days I've seen in Fulham Twitter, and it's it's often a very bizarre place. But, yeah, I mean, n- no idea what was going on. It was either trolling of the highest order or someone who really, really, really likes licking boots. Yeah, it was honestly very bizarre. I mean, um, some of it actually started on a tweet to me and I, and I just kind of left it for the day because I, I couldn't be bothered to get involved. But I was watching from afar. But yeah, this account that had no followers, really, no... Like, it, it, the, the weirdest thing about it was that I, it had tweeted me once, the account, back in September when I was talking about signing a midfielder, just basically being like, Fulham are going to sign Yanam Vila and you're going to be happy about it. And I was like, that's a weird and quite niche reference. It was just one of those Twitter <laughs> accounts that, yeah, there's lots of them out there, had about five, ten followers, a few random, got involved a little bit in Fulham chat. And then suddenly on Sunday, it just became the absolute star of the show lots of people were convinced that it was someone working for the club and an insider i'm definitely down the line that i think it was someone on a wind up and a a, a perfectly executed yeah it's good troll if it wind was. up at that we'll never know but then yeah the fact that this guy was on everyone's lips jay williams whoever and then yeah fulham sold someone on monday called jay williams from the academy to sutton I mean, it all felt too good to be a coincidence. It definitely was a coincidence. But it's definitely just it's the world's biggest. It's definitely a coincidence. But I, I thought that it was handled very, very funnily by the Fulham social media team. Yeah. Who made sure to get his actual handle, Jay Williams, the player. We wish him well, by the way. Yes. <laughs> I hope he has a great time at Sutton. I hope he succeeds. He's a Welsh under 21 or was a Welsh under 21 international. So, yeah. Uh, Definitely some talent there. So fair play, good luck, yeah, Jay. No, I feel I feel like Jay, who presumably knew none about nothing about yeah, yeah, this, yeah, must have been getting must have been an absolute pelters in the comments. People being like, "What's going on?" And he must have looked at his phone and been like, "Weird." Yeah, I've had any interactions with the Fulham fan base before? <laughs> like, anyway, an absolute crazy situation. Um, hopefully, we've uh, explained that well enough. For people not on Twitter. Uh, this one from G Thompson says: For the past couple of months, Muniz has clearly been our preferred ineffectual striker. Do you think that Vinny's Spate of attacks on opposition players led to this decision from Marco. Cheers from Gavin. <laughs> Do you think that Moon, uh, Vinicius's random kind of like hitting out at players was a factor in us going for Muniz over him? I think there's other factors, but it didn't help his cause. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a weird one, isn't it? Like there were there were rumours that he'd fallen out with Marco Silva earlier in the season, right? And then he got a couple of games again and kept punching people and then fell out of favour. So I'd imagine there's more to it than just that he kept trying to sort of karate kick people. Um, but it kind of helped. He, like, those three games, he was a walking red card. It was it was phenomenal that he didn't... He managed... In fact, almost impressive that he managed not to get sent off yeah. in those three games. And actually, I think the Thiago Silva one is the least violent of the lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yet that's the one that got all the attention in the press. I think that's the only one that I was like, that's maybe borderline. I mean, mm. it's stupid, 
but it might be borderline. The other two, I was like, that's a Stonewall red card. Yeah. And I, I do think there is an element when you're playing with someone like that. And I remember having a discussion at the time being like, someone's like, oh, we need a bit of that fire since Mitrovic. And I was like, that's not fire, that's just stupidity. Yeah. And it does come at a place where like, if he was scoring loads of goals, then you'd maybe ignore it, but he's not. And and so therefore, I, I think that Marco must be looking at it and be like, yeah, I'll probably just leave that if I'm honest. Mm. Um, Peter O'Connor, uh, titles his emails, Clappers. Clappers on Saturday, Clappers Tuesday. There was also Clappers at the uh, Liverpool game. Anyone else feel this is both an admission of ticketing problems and a trolling of fans, that we need atmosphere with fewer seats full and an attempt to say, we'll bring back the card for atmosphere to make up for what's missing and have you ridiculed again by opposition fans? And that's from Peter O'Connor. He then says, yes, I was there on Saturday. Please don't judge me. Fellow fan who lives overseas, who was in town, so obliged him by joining. Wouldn't have done so if that wasn't the case. Peter, go, go if you want. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> do no, what you want. No judgment from us if you go to a football match. Um, yeah. I, look, I've got to say, I put it out there. I said it before the Liverpool game. I I love the fact that they brought the Clappers back for that. I hate it's it. It's just funny, man. Like it, What I love more than anything else is when Fulham dial into being Fulham. It's the cheese boards on the trains. It's the drinking red wine on, you know, outside opposition grounds. I love it when Fulham dial into the stereotype as, you know, to be like, we can own our own stereotypes, right? Clappers in that kind of game, hilarious. Also, they were talking about Juve and, you know, all the big games and the Europa League run. Clappers. Important. They were up on my wall for years. Like they were part of the journey. Now they just I'd... kill the atmosphere, though. It's like you start a song and then it's just clap, 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 clap. Oh god, I can't. Yeah, I mean enough about your uni experiences, but um, it was <laughs> the when you kind of look at what it brought. Look, I think they must have had to do a run of different things, right? Like they might have had to do like a four game run of clappers to to meet the minimum order or something because there was no reason that they should have been clappers last night. It was so weird. <laughs> but I think they must have just ordered them for Liverpool and you must have to buy them in bulk. So uh, that's the only explanation I can give for what that was. But yeah, I mean, I think that bringing clappers out for a big game now is funny as, but you can't you can't bring them out back for for permanent life. That's not how it is. Maybe. I don't know. I just see them and just go like, oh, for God's sake. Do you know what would be really funny? We start printing opposition fans clappers with like their badge on it. And then be like, look at them. They've got clappers. <laughs> okay. I actually would enjoy that. That's great. That's even more fun. <laughs> look at all these Brentford clappers. <laughs> FB away days on Twitter would be so all over that. Oh, my God. Um, David Jones... Um, asks this and this is a, a fair point maybe um you know got to take the game into context but says um good morning fulhamish with the embarrassment of the wolves versus west brom game do you think the powers that be finally get tougher of clubs allowing away fans in home areas with ali mack and co clearly not bothered about it i'm hoping their hands are forced by the fa and premier league following the moronic behavior in the midlands derby all the best from dave jones uh, i mean obviously <laughs> West Brom versus Wolves, first black country derby in 12 years with fans was always a pretty special case. Mm. But yeah, it shows what can happen when you allow opposition fans. And we saw it last season in that Chelsea game, um, or this season even, when it wasn't even a Chelsea fan, but it was a suspected Chelsea fan and it all got pretty nasty in the Hammersmith end. Like, I... I and we talked a little bit about it on Sunday's podcast about there being so many Newcastle fans in the in the home area. It's yeah. it's something the club have to take seriously. It's not just 
something that is nice to have. Like, it's a really serious problem if you allow away fans in. And I do fear that in there's, you know, big games coming up. You've got, you know, all of the big clubs coming up in a few in a few weeks. And if Fulham are playing badly and an away fan celebrating the Hammersmith end, I am concerned that one day something more serious will happen. Of course it will. Like, as in, what you're basically doing by doing that is getting in there and 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 rubbing it in people's faces that you've made it on. And look, in the 80s and that, running someone's home end was a thing, right? People used to do that. They used to try and get into the home areas to actually try and to start those kind of scraps. That was eradicated in the game by the Taylor Report and the fact they had to become all-seater stadiums, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, fine. But the, when you start to allow that to happen again, then you, you kind of encourage that same kind of scrap behaviour and look, whilst I do think that you need to take responsibility for your own actions, and if you get if you go out if you celebrate a goal in, in a, a home end when you're an away fan, then you need to ex- expect that you're going to be you know at the very least given a, a pretty rough ride of things. So like one, you know, take responsibility for your own actions. Like if if that's what you're you're doing. But two, if the club are here being like, oh yeah, we're a, a family club, we are you know a community club, which the club seem to still be trying to claim despite obvious evidence to the contrary then these things need to be addressed because of course it's going to wind people up like why would it not it it makes no sense there is i think a difference between people who are i'm not saying this is right either but there is a difference between people who are like okay i've been to games and i've been and sat in home ends as a fulham fan with my head down and sat on my hands. It's not that fun. I didn't enjoy it that much, but and I haven't done it in years because actually I was like, this is actually not enjoyable. Yeah. But there is an element of being like, well, I'm not actually causing any harm. I'm not doing anything. I'm not cheering. I'm not clapping. I'll stand up and clap if you know, the other team scores, et cetera, which I can be like, okay, I can accept that. It's not great. But there's one thing that accepting that some people will always get around it. There's another thing being willfully ignorant of it. And that's what happened in the Newcastle game. No, 100%. And the club refusing to actually accept that this is happening and being like, no, no, that didn't happen, is going to put... And I think that's just why the email is, is, is absolutely spot on. It's going to put someone in trouble at some point because the club are like, no, 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 no. And look, it happened in the Liverpool game. Two thats came down and, you know, they were like, you can see the cats over their face, etc. And I was like... They're Liverpool fans. And this, I only said it's Stuart because I was stood in the gangway and he was like, can you move back across? And I was behind that bloody pole. And I was like, yeah, I will when you move, when you get the two Liverpool fans out. Because like, yeah. it's as simple as that. And look, we had it Anfield away, right? Mm. The lads have been walking in in Liverpool hats and, the secu- and it all kicking off. And actually Fulham fans have been thrown out because they confronted them, which was ridiculous because it was an away end. And I think the important thing to say here is that you know, I'm not here worried about the safety, really, of those who do that, the away fans that get into the home end. The thing that is potentially scary here and, you know, was the case at the Wolves versus West Brom game. It puts people in danger that haven't actually, it, because people in the fire. Yeah, if you, if the people who are actually actively seeking it out are the ones who you're like, well, what are you doing? Like, yeah, as in you, you, you take, again, take responsibility for your own actions. Those caught in the crossfire are not. Yeah, and that's the that's the danger. It's those people in the middle. I'm just going to finish the podcast with this email. Um, it's a bit of a long one from Toby Shaw, but um, worth mentioning, I think, and reading in its entirety. Um, he's caveated first, basically in two parts. He said to us, first of all, hi guys, this is an open letter to the ownership at Fulham illustrating how many average Fulham fans feel about the current situation at the club. Um, the voice um, that Fulhamish and the Fulham Sports Trust have within the Fulham community um, 
is essential. So I've sent it to both of you guys. So, you know, so his basically letter that he also sent to the supporters trust and to the club is as follows. Dear Mr. Carl and dear Mr. McIntosh, I, along with my two boys, didn't attend the game versus Newcastle yesterday. As season ticket holders, we have seen our tickets go up substantially this season. To put this in perspective, I am an Uber driver, my wife a florist. We are not wealthy by any stretch and following the team home and away takes up a large proportion of my income, which causes friction. In four days, we were expected to pay for the semi-final and the FA Cup game against Newcastle, priced at £40. On top of that, next weekend, we are away to Burnley, which costs even more. Looking further forward, one of my boys turns 18 this summer, which means his season ticket will go up substantially. Whilst he works in a cafe when he is not at college, this will not cover the cost. I face the prospect of not being able to take my children to the team we love. You see, we didn't boycott the game. We just couldn't afford to go. You're in danger of losing the support that will be with you through thick and thin. My 17-year-old who goes home and away and went to every game in our League Cup run is increasingly disillusioned with it all. My dismay is that Fulham have always had a good bond with the supporters, but over recent years, this has slowly been lost. I understand FFP is causing issues for clubs, but it is not for supporters to pay the bill. Even if you think... Um, it is how much do you generate from this approach? How much are the people at the top of the club paid? Yours regrettably, Toby Shaw, a season ticket holder in the Hammersmith end. Spot on. No notes. Yeah. 10 out of 10, Toby. And I think that there's such a misconception that fans can afford this. And and I, th- I th- the line that there where he said, you see, we didn't boycott the game. We couldn't afford to go. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, this is it. And this is what just, seems to be completely missing uh, at any sort of conversation at the top level that, you know, the, the club are either, as you say, either willfully ignoring, which is arguably worse, or ignorant of. And I, I can't decide, you know, which one of the one, it's, one is a, a, a simple lack of respect and two is a simple lack of care and whichever way that goes and whichever way you look at that, it's disgraceful. Yeah. Um, thank you for sending that our way, Toby. And um, I'm sure there'll be a lot of people listening that will have uh, agreed and, uh, and feel in a very similar situation to you. Um, I think we all do, mostly. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for your email. Uh, before we finish the pod today, uh, Jack, what are you going to name it? Uh, remembering my rule that I set you at the start? Yeah, I'm going to go with Andy Brooker's Fulham's projectile dysfunction. <laughs> You can get tablets for that, I think. <laughs> I think you can. I hope Fulham can anyway. I it. see adverts all the time. You can buy a brochure to see if it can help. <laughs> all right, that'll do for the podcast today. Uh, we'll be back on Sunday looking uh, back at the uh, the Burnley game and also we'll review anything hopefully something that happens on uh, transfer deadline day don't forget about the jack and joe show jack and jack show uh, live stream on youtube 9 30 uh, uk time on thursday night jack you jack thank you as ever no thank you sammy a pleasure and we'll be back on sunday come on you whites you whites, you whites.